As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's episode of The Audible, Bruce takes us behind the scenes of the coaching search that led to Michigan State hiring Colorado's Mel Tucker. We'll talk about some of the candidates for that Colorado job, what that hire means for the Pac-12 And then some great mailbag questions, including, can Notre Dame win a national title in the very near future? That's next on The Audible. Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, last week, I think at the end of the podcast, I said, we're going to spend most of this week's episode answering your email questions, barring some sort of bombshell like Mark D'Antonio retiring. Well, the night before we're recording this, late at night, you broke the latest coaching carousel bombshell. Michigan State does have a coach, and it is Mel Tucker from Colorado who's only been at Colorado for one year and who very vehemently and publicly uh, recommitted himself last late last week saying uh, he was going to stay at Colorado. He was speaking at a Colorado uh, booster function literally like a couple hours before uh, this news got out. What happened? Some crazy timing all around, Stu. I'm going to walk you guys through this a little bit. So uh, from my reporting... Tucker had been really targeted by some key Michigan State decision makers in this process early on, uh, and they had reached out to him, uh, I think it was Friday, maybe even Thursday of late last week, and he wanted to, felt like, I'm going to stay at, uh, at CU, what we have going here, but he was, as you said, was in the middle of this donor tour where he was. I think at that point he might have been in Southern California. I think he was in San Diego and he addressed it. And then he, he tweeted what he said. And I'm sure it came up on this donor tour where these are very informal and, and kind of not one-on-one meetings, but some of them are kind of like that. And so that happened. And then he was kind of seemed to be out of the search. And then it went through with with uh, Luke Fickle and then he said thanks but no thanks and I don't know if he was offered the job or not but it seemed like he had a probably could have had it then on uh, Monday night I understand that Michigan State came back at Mel Tucker with a really strong offer and my understanding was that he was still going to stay at CU um, and then he, he was still on this donor tour and on Tuesday, uh, from what I'm told, like from a PR standpoint, people close to Tucker were like, hey, you know, you probably don't want to be doing a, ra- you know, doing a radio interview now. You got to let's, you know, be, uh, you know, maybe let's be ju- judicious in some of this stuff. And from what I was told, Tucker his approach was basically, well, when I'm working for Colorado and I'm ra- when I'm raising money for Colorado, I need to be all in until the moment I'm not. 
And so even though he was advised not to go on the radio and do a radio interview, I guess that's not who he is, and he did it. And he still kept meeting, you know, talking to uh, donors. And then uh, Michigan State came back again with an even bigger offer. And that offer, as we reported, basically doubles the, the staff salary pool uh, a lot of the resources going around the program, his salary was going to double. And ultimately, as, as we reported late last night, and I think it was it was like 10 o'clock Pacific time before uh, sources told me that he had actually agreed in principle to take the job. And so that was really late. I mean, I think I think our story might have gone up at like 1.15 Eastern time. And so it's... It's crazy. And then, as I said, the timing, even crazy, you know, another crazy twist of this is Rick George, the AD uh, who was involved with this for CU, I think he just had back surgery. So that's, a t- you know, that's pretty tough as anybody's ever had back surgery as I have before. It's like, it's not an easy thing to do now that you probably have a coaching search you have to jump in the middle of. So let's look at this from both sides, the ramifications both on the Michigan State side and on the Colorado side. On the Michigan State side, that coaching search has really been clunky. It, there have been leaks. There have been, I mean, obviously a very high-profile rejection from Luke Fickle at, at Cincinnati. And so given all that, the fact that they were able to get Mel Tucker, one of the top guys on their list, is obviously a, about as good a, a, a final solution as I think they could have gotten. But the fact that they are paying more than $5 million a year to a guy who has one year of college head coaching experience and went five and seven in that one year, to me, kind of speaks to some desperation there, some some desperation to save face and to get this thing resolved once and for all. Well, yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, it should be noted, Mel Tucker's first coaching job was on Nick Saban's staff in the late 90s. There's a lot of people there who know him well, and that includes the basketball coach, Tom Izzo, who, you know, he has some influence on this coaching search as well, too. And I, I think there was a bunch of people there who felt like we know who Mel Tucker is. We know what he's about. He's a Midwest guy. He has roots that are still pretty deep in uh, Ohio. He was on Jim Trestle's staff when they won a, won a national title. He was on He was in Barry Alvarez's first recruiting class at Wisconsin. So... I think there was a lot of people there who felt like we think he's the guy we need to have going forward. And so they had to make a big commitment because if you look at it in this regard, uh, from talking to some other people in my reporting, there's some speculation out there that who knows where there could be sanctions coming from some of the stuff that had gone on in the previous few years around Michigan State. It's it's a really rough, you know, it's a, it's kind of a rough transition that they're going through from the end of Mark D'Antonio's time there. On top of that, that, you know, even when things are good, you still got Ohio State in that division. You still got Michigan in that division, though, you know, your arch rival. And then on top of that, you got Penn State, which is also now like a perennial, basically top 10, top 15 program with James Franklin. That's all in your division. That's as tough a division as anyone's going to have in college football when you have those three, given all the other stuff that now Mel Tucker has to has to jump in and, and take control of, which some of this is some of, some of this is is image handling, to be honest. I think that this search really illustrated the effect of all the turmoil that Michigan State has had over the last several years, because from a strictly football perspective, it's a really good job. Think about the fact that only 11 schools have reached the college football playoff to this point. Michigan State is one of them. You, you, there, is, there is recent track record and evidence to suggest you can, you can win there. Um, but you go back to starting in 2017, obviously the Larry Nassar scandal brought huge negative publicity for Michigan State, and it caused you know, more tangibly for a football coach, they lost a longtime president and a longtime AD. And the AD who's there now is probably not qualified to be an AD. And I think it showed during this search. We will find out at some point the credibility of those allegations from Curtis Blackwell, who feels he was scapegoated um, when when Mark D'Antonio fired him. But 
it's just it's just, in the meantime it just doesn't look good for the school um so i think all of those things contributed to probably there being less interest in that job than there probably would be normally and certainly the february timing didn't help but they got their guy um i think that there's going to be obviously a lot of just from a general public standpoint a lot of skepticism about Mel tucker a lot of distrust that he did just go dig so far in in terms of the i'm i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay but hey if you find out he more than doubled his salary i mean i don't think anybody making those comments would would stay at their job uh if somebody else offered them to double their salary i can't really fault him for that to me what's the bigger takeaway is just this was this we've spent a lot of time on this show in columns talking about the issues the pac-12 has been facing under larry scott the growing revenue disparity, you and Andy wrote about it when the SEC came out with their new numbers a couple weeks ago. The fact that, you know, we're not talking about a group of five school here. We're talking about Colorado. Decent, decent program. Uh, obviously, they've struggled recently, but they have good history. And the fact that we're not talking about Ohio, and on the other side, we're not talking about Ohio State. We're talking about Michigan State can come in and just throw more money at him than Colorado possibly ever could. And it's just got to be really humbling and really um, kind of a rude wake-up call. How are you supposed to build momentum for your program if a coach basically, I mean, Mel Tucker basically used them as a stepping stone the way, you know, a a coach in the AAC might use one of their schools as a stepping stone or, or, you know, basically they got treated like a group of five school in this. And then also, obviously, the coach of Washington State left for Mississippi State, not one of the necessarily plum jobs in the SEC, but even the lower-rung SEC jobs have way more resources than Washington State does in the Pac-12. I just think this is kind of a, a an eye-opening moment for, for people in that conference. I said this on the radio. I did a radio interview this morning in Colorado, and the analogy kind of came to me as I was on the phone. We were talking about this, about the resources. And I'd mentioned, you know, the story you referenced with Andy that we did about 10 days ago that shows this widening gap. And I think it's a little probably jarring for some people to hear, but I'm thinking about it in regard of you're in Colorado where you have, what do they start the year off often with? Colorado against Colorado State. And I think there's a lot of folks in Pac-12 country who look at look look at the Mountain West schools as there's a big gap, and I think what you're starting to see, and what you will see, is some of the SEC and Big Ten schools with how they operate financially, with the resources and the disparity, they will look at some, at the Pac-12 to some degree, like I think that the Pac-12 may look at the Mountain West. I mean, that may seem crazy, but that's where when you're talking about, hey, we can't get, uh, we have one person, full-time person or two full-time people in our recruiting department, when Ohio State has 11, uh, when you can't get on a, uh, you know, you can't travel private and you're to recruit and you are getting on commercial planes, that stuff matters, especially when you're at, um, especially when you're at, uh, a program like Colorado where there's not a ton of recruits in the local area. That stuff matters. And that's the reality I think they're dealing with it right now. Well, think about this. I, w- I, I, I can't 100% say this is definitive research I did. It was more like just kind of going through my, my recollections. So in the last three years, three Pac-12 head coaches, sitting head coaches, have voluntarily left for other Power 5 conferences in the last three years. That hasn't happened in the SEC since James Franklin left Vanderbilt for Penn State. And I would I would think we would all consider that a, an obvious step up. I can't even, I'd have to rack my brain to think of anybody that's, you know, anybody else that was a sitting SEC head coach. I mean, you've had a couple go in conference, like Dan Mullen from, from Mississippi State to Florida, but to leave for like a Big 12 job, Somebody listening to this might think of one off the top of their head. It's been a long time. For for the Big Ten, the last one was Bielema in 2012 going from uh, Wisconsin to Arkansas. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of what you're saying, right? Like when coaches are using your job, schools and your conference as a springboard, then that tells you there's definitely a gap in perception. 
Yeah, and I don't, like I said, you know, in our story, that's not changing. That's probably only going to grow because of the TV deals that are coming. So if you're a, if you're a Pac-12 fan, what do you feel? What are you thinking right now? I think that it's just, I mean, most Pac-12 fans are already pretty frustrated to begin with. This probably just compounds that a little bit or maybe uh, brings it into focus. Um, now, I will say there's a scenario here where Colorado may end up feeling like, because first of all, when they hired Mel Tucker in the first place, I thought that was kind of a, like, I didn't want to rule the guy out, but it seemed like an odd choice given just complete zero lack of ties to that area. If Colorado turns around and can hire Eric Bieniemy, who obviously alma mater conquering hero and now uh, OC of the reigning Super Bowl champions, then Colorado's going to come out of this, I would think, their fans feeling like they upgraded. Whether that turns out to be true, I don't know, but that's going to be just much more exciting and much more galvanizing for their fan base than hiring Mel Tucker was. Um, So, you know, maybe it ends up being a a win for that school. Um, But then he's just going to deal with a lot of the same issues in terms of how many analysts can you hire and can you afford to have a nutritionist and and a this and a that. That frankly, I mean, the fact that Michigan State can spend this much money, the fact that Purdue can spend five million dollars a year on Jeff Brom, those that conference and the SEC is like this as well. Like they have more money than they can spend. It's just silly money at this point. Whereas the Pac-12 schools face legitimate challenges. UCLA, obviously, John Wilner, fantastic uh, reporter for the Mercury News, who covers all things Pac-12, had a story a few weeks ago showing that UCLA for the first time. And Dan Guerrero's whole tenure there is facing a deficit in its athletic department. Think about that. UCLA Athletics, huge brand name. They signed, I believe, the, at the time, the biggest um, apparel deal in the country with Under Armour. And they are running a deficit because, you know what, UCLA funds a whole lot of Olympic sport teams that, that uh, don't bring in revenue. And they had to fire a couple high-profile coaches and pay their buyouts. So it's a mess, and I don't know that there's an you know going to be a – immediate solution because Larry Scott and that conference's strategy is to just bide their time and wait till 2024 when their TV contract comes up and and hope to cash in then when the market will have reset itself yet again uh, because the Big Ten will have come up before then. I believe the Big 12 will come up before then. They had an opportunity, I believe, last year. ESPN was willing to basically go ahead and extend their Tier 1 rights now. But they chose to pass on that, and I don't necessarily disagree with that decision from a long-term perspective. I mean, they're in this situation they're in now in part because, like, they went first, and their deal way back in 2010 was a by far the the richest at that time. And but enough other conferences have have come and gone by then that now it's out of date. So I can understand them wanting to do that, but that's not going to help solve any kind of short-term deficit issues that these athletic departments are dealing with. All right. Um... So let's let me bounce some other names. You mentioned Eric Bieniemy. Let me throw some other names at you. Let's say Eric Bieniemy says, "You know what? I got Pat Mahomes. We're going to make another run in the Super Bowl, and there's a lot of eyeballs on me. I'm going to buy. I'm going to take one more shot to stay here, stay in the NFL, and get my head coaching job because I've been, you know been committed to the NFL for a while." So let's say he ends up saying thanks, but no thanks. I'm not saying that's. I haven't heard that, but let's say hypothetically that happens. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you four or five names. You tell me which one appeals to you. Uh, Brian Harson. I'm going to go through them, and then you tell me. Brian Harson, Boise State, has won a lot in the, uh, in the Mountain West. He's obviously at a, a blue blood school. Now, having said that, CU once hired, not that long ago, but probably, a, you know, whatever, 15 years ago, they did hire another Boise State head coach. Didn't work out so well. Uh, then there is Steve Sarkeesian at... Alabama was in the mix for for Mississippi State. Uh, obviously knows the Pac-12, has some baggage from his time in the Pac-12, certainly. Jim McElwain coached at, at CSU before, did really well, had a really good first season uh, in the MAC, knows the state of Colorado well. Troy Calhoun, he is a uh, he's been in the Air Force a long time. By the way, the Shanahan name is... In vogue again, he is a Shanahan guy, having uh, worked under him and been an OC at the Texans as well. So he knows that state. And then Butch Jones, who almost 
accepted the job years ago before taking the Tennessee job. And Butch Jones was a candidate at Michigan State in this search as well. Tell me who you like of that group and who gets you, who would get the fan base excited if it's not Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I think Brian Harson would be a slam dunk. Uh, we are far enough. First of all, yes, the last time they hired a Boise State coach did not go so well, but I think we can all acknowledge that Dan Hawkins is a very, very, very unique personality and that maybe that doesn't fly at a big time at, at a major power conference school. He's had success in in the lower levels of football. He's doing well at UC Davis. Maybe he just wasn't meant to be a Pac-12, I guess at that time, Big 12 head coach. Um, but Brian Harson, at this point, he is far enough removed from the Chris Peterson era that the success they're having, and he just won another conference championship this past year, is all him. And uh, I would feel pretty good about that. Um, I think I would feel pretty... I think Troy Calhoun could be interesting. Obviously, it's a much different kind of program, a much different kind of institution. But there, there's no denying the track record he's had at this point. Um, should I be? What about you? Should I be higher on Sark at this point? Should I be putting the the way things ended at USC behind me? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You know what to make on that one. He can recruit. I mean, there's no doubt about. It. He would bring some energy there. Um, you know, another name I guess we should, you know I would mention is a guy they were interested in not you know a few years ago was Tim DeRuiter who has now done a really good job at the, at the uh, at Cal as a defensive coordinator. He's also a Southern California guy like Sark, except he's a defensive guy. He's one of your neighbors. Um, so it sounds like, you are you Harson or Bust and then maybe Calhoun, or is there anybody else? And what do you think of Jim McElwain? I don't know how you can do Jim McElwain after what happened at Florida. I mean, that, that was just a, nothing about... I know he won division titles, but... Nothing about that would give you confidence that, first of all, he was at a school where you have way more resources and way more fertile recruiting territory than than you do at uh, CU, and that still did not go well. Um, so you would think, right, that you could get Biennemi or Harson or Calhoun. Would you really have to go much further than that? I think you could. I think you could definitely get Troy Calhoun. I. Don't know about Brian. How Harson. has he been at Air Force this long? How has nobody hired him before now? You know what's interesting with him is I think because he's been in a service academy for a long time, people would just assume he runs what we see in the Army Navy game. And there's very different kinds of stuff. I mean, he was an NFL offensive coordinator and he was with the Broncos with Shanahan for a while. Like, there's a lot more to him than that. Um, I don't know. I think a, a little bit where it gets unfair, and I, I, I don't think, and we've seen search committees and how some of these processes work, but I think what happens sometimes, it's a little bit like where Bud Foster, where people are like, well, how has this happened so long? And then they just kind of write it off, you know, whereas like there must be something that doesn't fit right or whatever. Not like there's a baggage thing, but just like, and they just, it's, a, it's the same kind of reaction, whereas he might be a really good solution for them, you know? Um I don't know. I, I think they have some interesting choices, but they do have some, some as we've talked about, some financial limitations, you know. And and I'll say this: Mel Tucker brought a ton of energy to to CU. I mean, they almost sold on average capacity to Folsom Field was almost a hundred percent there last year. He got people excited. We did a couple of his games. That stuff was real. I mean, because I mean. Like I didn't have a you know much read on Mel Tucker before he took the job, and then after doing a couple of his games and being around the meetings and seeing how everything responded, like you know I came away thinking, okay, this guy is this guy's the real deal. I'm not saying he's going to win a national title at, there, but my point there is right now there's a lot of air that naturally has come out of the balloon with him leaving. I think you got to find somebody who can who can pump that back into it. Um, hey, one other wild card name, I guess, to throw out since, you know, we mentioned some guys who are coordinators, DeRuiter, Sark. Uh, there was a guy who used to work at Colorado who's actually had, who did have a lot of success in the Pac-12, and he's available now, and that's Mark Helfrich. Would that name do anything for you? Uh, it would, actually. Um, obviously, things did not end well there at Oregon, but I also think he was in a... Uh, 
how would you put it? Uh, it's almost like that thing was destined to not end well because he was being measured against just one a guy who had an all-time great run there in Chip Kelly. Uh, you know, he's got ties there. Yeah, I could actually see that. Do you think that's a possibility? I think that might be a possibility. I mean, uh, geographically, he fits there. I think, um, I think that is a possibility. I really do. I'd, I'd be curious as to, you know, I, I mean, I say this and I'll be transparent. Like, I worked with him at Fox for a year, and a lot of people of my colleagues got to see a sense of humor and a personality that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people around Oregon really didn't get to see. Now, maybe his coach, his colleagues did, but um, I think if he can come back as more of that guy, and I'm not saying you got to completely change, but maybe you would, you know, maybe the change would be good too, because he's clearly. Uh, he's a smart X and O's guy. I mean, it certainly worked well with what they did. Now, how much is how much have people caught up to that? How much has he evolved from you know his time in the NFL for a couple of years? I'm curious to see what he wants to do next. I I don't know for a fact this, but I'm sh- like he wowed the people I work with or our bosses at at Fox in terms of just how good of a game analyst he was. And that is a skill that is not easy to pick up. It's not like you're in the studio and you're just talking football. So I'm curious to what his next move is. I don't I, I don't know if he really would want CU. I would imagine he'd be interested, but because he does have connections to the place. So that's a that's a to me a little bit more of a wild card than some of these other guys that we've talked about. One other coaching hire I wanted to talk about with you real quick before we get to the mailbag. LSU. We were all waiting to see what they did after losing Joe Brady. Um, Ed O has picked his guy. It's a familiar name, certainly if you're an NFL fan, but there's been a mixed reaction to it. Yeah, Scott Linehan is the guy he hired. We reported this on Monday. And I think what he wants, he being Ogeron wanted once in this hire was, hey, we have this LSU offense that Joe Brady had a big part in helping develop. And Steve Ensminger was the you know, the primary play caller and the one who oversaw it, Steve Ensminger's still there, the O-line guy's still there. You know, it, you know, there are a bunch of assistants, obviously Joe Brady and Dave Aranda most notably have moved on, but the core group of the staff is still there. And I think what he's looking at is, let's let's add some some other ideas to this. We're not going to change what, what we're doing radically. We still know what our, our identity needs to be. But I think when they got... Scott Linehan on the board and heard some of his ideas on specific things, they were really impressed. And they've talked to some other guys in the process who I think might have been sexier names because honestly, they were guys with what's interesting with this is sometimes the less track record you have, the more attractive you can be in when the name gets out. You know, I mean, on Super Bowl Sunday, I had reported that Tyler Tettleton, you remember that name, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, Mac quarterback from Ohio, Tyler Tettleton, who I'd kind of kept in touch with as his coaching career took off, had gotten, uh, had accepted a job as an analyst at LSU. Well, here's Tyler Tettleton's resume in short on paper. Tyler Tettleton obviously was a good college quarterback. Then he went to work at OU under Lincoln Riley for three years. And then after that, he went to the NFL. He was with the Jets, and then he was with the Browns. Um, If I told you that Tyler Tettleton was going to be the pass game coordinator, I said, hey, here's a guy who spent three years working under Lincoln Riley and then a couple years in the NFL. um, That doesn't, you know, that might be as as enticing to some people as as Joe Brady's resume was, right? I mean, I think that's the the nature of this thing. Is this going to be a great hire? Is it going to be a good hire? Is it going to be a mediocre hire with Scott Linehan? Who knows? I mean, I think the key thing is the guy who's, who is not there this year going forward is the probably the most important piece of that, and that's Joe Burrow, right? So however it is, whoever gets Miles Brennan, I do know this, that Scott Linehan inherits some really, really good receivers. Jamar Chase is still there. He was the best receiver in the country last year. Terrace Marshall's still there. They have the best tight end who's come out of high school in years, Eric Gilbert. So they still have a lot of pieces for him to work with. And that guy, I mean, 
he did work with Randy Moss and he worked with Calvin Johnson and a bunch of other big time receivers in the NFL. So I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff to work with, but you know, who knows how it's going to play out for sure. And Steve Ensminger's still there. And at the end of the day, he was the OC. I think Joe Brady's importance cannot be overstated in bringing that scheme to LSU but now that it's there, now that Steve Ensminger has a year of experience calling that offense, not that the pass game coordinator is not so important, but it's just it's going to be a different dynamic. It's not, it, the the um, the role that he will be playing is different than the role Joe Brady played, where he literally uh, created that offense. Right. So uh, I think after the Joe Brady thing turned out so spectacularly, Coach O deserves a little bit of. Uh, 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 leash when it comes to making coaching hires, whether you are enamored with Scott Linehan or not, like, hey, maybe that guy's got pretty good judgment about coaching hires. Let, let's see how it plays out. Back to the podcast in just a minute, but first a word from DoorDash. Delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With DoorDash, you'll never have to worry about your next meal. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code AUDIBLE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code AUDIBLE. So don't forget, that's code AUDIBLE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Now back to the podcast. Okay, as promised, let's go to the mailbag. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. This first one, Bruce, if we did it exactly the way Jeff Stofko from Brazelton, uh, he did spell it out for us here. Jeff Stofko from Brazelton, Georgia wants us to answer it. It would take up an entire podcast, so we're going to do a condensed version of this, okay? For the following holdover coaches at Power 5 schools, what is the level of discomfort, mild, medium, or Helton, and what do they need to do in 2020 to avoid being fired? So he gives us several names per conference. I'm just going to tell you the names. You tell me if which one of the guys is on the hottest seat, and maybe in some cases none of them are, okay? ACC, Dave Doran, Manny Diaz, and Dino Babers. I don't think Dino's seat is hot at all. He had a down year, but he's been... He's been a terrific hire there. Many Diaz, it's year two. I think if it was a disastrous second year, I think he would have concern. But I think, and we're going to get into a little more of this because I think we're going to talk about De'Ara King in, a little later in the podcast. But I think that you know, people like the hires he's made. Certainly the Ed Reed hire was a splash hire for him. I think they like Rhett Lashley uh, as an upgrader, as a better fit uh, at offensive coordinator. So I, I think... Realistically, I'm not sure. I mean, Dave Doran, I think there's a little bit of frustration there because he's been there a little while, but I don't think it's like a scalding hot seat anywhere there in the ACC. I frankly don't understand how Dave Doran has remained the NCAA state coach. for. It's one of the most underwhelming. He's been there since 2013, and he and there was a nine, there's nine win seasons in there, but they were very empty calorie nine win seasons where they didn't actually beat any of the good teams on their schedule. It's just it's been very, very, very underwhelming. I don't know if he's on the hot seat, but I just feel like NC State has invested a lot uh, so far, a whole lot, in a guy with minimal ROI. Wow, off the top rope stew! I did not see this coming. Let's go! All right. Uh, I think I've mentioned that on Twitter before as well. Maybe in a mail? No, in a mailbag, I got asked about it. Salty stew on Twitter is not the stew we usually get on this podcast, though. Uh, not according to some of our uh, Apple podcast reviews. Uh, Ace, Big Ten. Lovey Smith, Jeff Brom, Scott Frost, Pat Fitzgerald, Mike Loxley. I think the only one on there that is in any sort of hot seat, and I would assume it's a fairly warm hot seat, Lovey Smith. Whoa, whoa. Hold on a second, Stu. John Hayes from the, from the bullpen. Piping in. What have you got, John? Man, anybody who's listened to the, this podcast for the last year has to believe that Pat Fitzgerald's on the hot seat. Come on. Yeah, I think Pat Fitzgerald has the kind of job security that, frankly, nobody in journalism has. Uh, he can survive a disastrous season like <laughs> last year and be 
completely unaffected. Um, their basketball coach, on the other hand, I wonder if if patience. All right, let's not talk Northwestern basketball stuff, 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 stuff. Now, Lovey okay. Smith, Fitt- got- fittingly, <laughs> fittingly reference, John. Uh, Stu went with a journalism reference. Northwestern, definitely a top eight journalism school in the country. So, well done. <laughs> I am going to say, uh, Lovey Smith had a really nice year when we, again I'm. I don't want to say I'm biased, but we just did his bowl game, so I heard a lot from Lovey. Uh, they thought the 2020 team was where they were trending to. So unless they take a massive step back, the AD, that Lovey is his guy. That was a big hire. Uh, I mean, I think it's probably on the radar, but unless they take a big, big step back, which they're not expected to, and their schedule sets up well, I think everybody here is pretty safe. I do. Um, Hot take from this side. Lovey Smith will not still be the uh, Illinois football coach in 2021. That that was a uh, congratulations on getting to a bowl game, but they still lost to that awful Northwestern team. They got pretty embarrassed in the bowl game against Cal. But what I really wanted to bring up is something that I noticed around signing day that I found pretty stunning, which is for all that supposed momentum, Illinois signed the... Uh, Illinois signed the number 14 out of 14 class in the Big Ten, lower than Rutgers, lower than Northwestern, lower than Indiana. Not only that, Illinois, their name is Illinois, did not sign a single kid from the state of Illinois. That just doesn't seem like a very good sign of a program that's on the rise. Okay, you know what, John? I like this. All of a sudden now, I feel like I'm getting Wolken stew as opposed to just <laughs> our our general stew. We're getting very feisty, bitter, this oatmeal sucks stew. So, um, fair enough. All right, so we're moving on to the Big All right, 12. we got to move along. we got to condense this. Big 12. No, any keep of these... going. I... You're, having, you're having too much fun with this? Big 12. I don't see any of these three. Well... No, maybe one of them. Big 12, Gary Patterson, Matt Wells, Tom Herman. Uh, Tom Herman, eh, a little bit of, you know, definitely warm after a disappointing year. He obviously fired a bunch of guys on his staff. I think he is, he cannot afford a big step back from last year, especially they have the terrific quarterback to build around. They were really young on defense. They're, you know, they should have, should be better on defense. We'll see if Chris Ash can get them a lot better. That's the only one I think. I mean, you know, they're not firing GP at TCU. He, I mean, they have a statue of him. You know, he's had some disappointing years. but <laughs> um, And Matt Wells just had one year. Okay, Tom Herman. Let's say Tom Herman goes 8-5 and five again, loses to Oklahoma, uh, ends up in something like the Alamo Bowl again. Is Tom Herman back for another year after that? Probably, I, I, I really don't know. I think some of the stuff that hurts. I find that you think hard he's to gone. I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction after the way things went last season that it trended in the wrong direction, and that I don't think he needs to win the Big Twelve, but I think he needs to get it back to where it was the year before for people to feel like that's what where the that's what Texas should be four years into a coach's tenure i think um what is not what has hurt tom also is some of these moments that beyond just the record where you know you talk to people like that looks really immature that doesn't look like something a a, you know a play a guy at a head coach at the university of texas should be attached to like flipping off the longhorn network yeah that is that is you know that seems like that happened long ago that was i guess the first signing day whatever two months ago that is a good example you know, the stuff with the – I didn't see it live because our bowl game was the same time as the Missouri bowl game. Whatever the backpack deal with, with – um, uh, Taunting Drew Locke. Taunting Drew Locke. Thank you. Yeah, like that stuff, that doesn't help, you know, so. No. Pac-12, he uh, is intentionally leaving Clay Helton off because we know his situation. Pac-12, Kevin Sumlin, Chip Kelly, David Shaw. Yeah, Kevin Sumlin would be the only one, I think, there – where it's been it's been a disappointing. I mean, he had a quarterback who was f- fantastic under Rich Rod and just wasn't the same guy. I know he had some injuries, but I think there, especially with Herm Edwards, has, has gotten people excited. I know he hasn't won that much more than than uh, his predecessor, but 
I, I feel like that's a place where they need some good stuff to happen. Okay, SEC. Derek Mason, Will Muschamp, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher? That that would be a very, very expensive yeah. <laughs> coach firing. <laughs> yeah, I just, let's take Jimbo Fisher off that one. Uh, sorry, Jeff. The other ones, Will Muschamp just signed the, the best, maybe the best defensive line prospect in the country in, um, in his own backyard, but then he lost like three assistants, including his D-line coach. I think that one is there's some frustration. Yeah, they beat Georgia, uh, but I think he's I think he's on the hot seat. I think Derek Mason. I mean, the program is better than it was prior to James Franklin. But considering what James Franklin did and then what Mason's done, it's just it's just kind of I don't know. It feels like it's kind of flatlined a lot. All right, let's. We got more questions we need to get to. This one's from Brian. One, but before I go, one quick thing on Lovey Smith since you since you urinated in his <laughs> meal. Uh, they only had thirteen commits. Pretty much everybody else in the Big Twelve, Big Ten had like 19, 20, 22. So there's a reason why their recruiting ranking was the bottom of. And part of that is that he's all in on the transfer portal. He flat out said we're gonna we're gonna go be yes. pretty aggressive with the transfer portal like they were last year, and they actually got a pretty a couple pretty good pickups goes back to what we talked about last week about rethinking the way we rank these classes all right this next one's a little bit long bear with us brian in chicago love the show keep up the good work my thoughts and questions in a recent episode you both ran down your list of programs you each thought could potentially win a national title in the coming decade one mega side omission by both of you in my opinion was notre dame since 2017 notre dame is 33 and 6 a record surpassed only by clemson ohio state alabama and oklahoma among power five schools neither you brought up notre dame you listed the likes of michigan texas penn state nd is closer to all those in winning a national title uh now i won't accuse you both of anti-notre dame bias but i'm sure brian has looked at your tweets in the past too he's on to you uh do you think Notre Dame suffers from being in a sort of no man's land of being an independent? I find national coverage of Notre Dame is surprisingly inaccurate and lazy. Defend yourselves, too. I mean, what does this come to that Notre Dame, of all programs, Notre Dame is complaining about inaccurate slash biased national coverage? Has any program in the history of college football enjoyed more glowing uh, at times, maybe over what it was deserved, national coverage. The Notre Dame. I mean, they they won national titles in the in their past because the AP voters of that era were so enamored with Notre Dame. So I I find it amusing that this is even a question. I will say that this past season, I found it a little odd that. Once they got stomped by Michigan, that it was like they fell off the face of the earth. There wasn't really any, uh, I don't think they moved up in the rankings at all the rest of the season, even though they actually beat some good good teams down the stretch and, and ended up winning 11 games. So if that's what he's referring to, I get it. But would you agree with his statement that, that Notre Dame has been, uh, that he's basically saying Notre Dame is already very close to winning a national title? Yeah, um, that's a tough one because, you know, look, I caught some flack. I got a text from a coach uh, right after Notre Dame got drilled by Clemson. And I think part of that is when they've gotten on some of those big stages, they have gotten embarrassed. Not to say other teams haven't had those moments. Certainly Ohio State had a moment like that against Clemson and, and whatnot. And Georgia's had some of those too. But I think, you know what, I think Brian's right. I think we probably should have had Notre Dame in there. I, I do. I think there are a couple of difference makers away, but it's not like they're Cam Newton away from playing for a national title. So I don't think he's wrong. Well, I think there's probably more top-end talent there than people would acknowledge. The list of uh, guys at the NFL Combine that got, that got NFL Combine invites this year came out, and Notre Dame was actually very high on that list. Now there's a difference between, you know, you have 10 guys get invited to the Combine and six or seven of them are going to end up being free agents versus – you know, LSU had 16 guys at the Combine, and a whole bunch of them will get drafted high. Um, but no, I mean, I think, yes, they literally got to the national title game in 2012. They got to the playoff in 2018. But then 
you watch the games and it's like, oh yeah, there's there's still a gap between them and Alabama and, and Clemson. Um, and then it's not just those games though. I mean, they've we've talked about this before. You go back over the years with Brian Kelly, and there's a whole lot of oh they came close. You know, they came close against Georgia last year. They came close against Florida State with Jameis. But when's the last time they actually won one of those signature? games against the very highly ranked teams the only one that comes to mind is the michigan uh last season because that michigan team actually ended up winning 10 games um so the question going back to the one a few weeks ago was which program that didn't win a national title this past decade could you see winning one this coming decade and obviously who knows who the coaches of these teams will be by the end of the decade or what college football will even look like by that point but no, I still think that there's enough working against Notre Dame institutionally. Uh, I think they make life harder for themselves as an independent. Um, their recruiting pool is always going to be a little bit limited by the academic standards that I just I don't think they're in that group of programs that have that check off all the boxes where if you've got the right coach, and I do think they have the right coach right now, they can win the national title. They can go 33-6 and six in three years. They can go to good bowl games. Uh, I just don't think they can win the national title. Uh, Josh Fiery from Elk City, Oklahoma. Bruce, in the article that you wrote with Andy uh, about the uh, the gap between SEC Big Ten and the other conferences financially, you mentioned that Oklahoma will be okay in the financial race, even though they're in the Big 12. I was curious why this was the case. You mentioned donors in the article, but it seems like it would have to be more than just that. Well, there's also the way the Big 12 structured with their – there are third-party rights deals. There's extra money that it's it's not all across the board. Like I think the Pac-12. If you're a USC fan, you're like, hey, why, we should do something like this, where the top of the top of the food chain gets taken care of better than the rest of the ones. And in Oklahoma, that is the case. Yeah, Oklahoma and Texas. Obviously, Texas has the Longhorn Network, but Oklahoma has also like the Sooner Network. It's not like a channel that you turn on on your TV. I don't think, but it's a deal with actually with like Fox Sports Regional. They actually take home a pretty decent chunk of cash every year on top of what they get from the Big 12. So they're actually making closer to what the Big 10 and SEC teams do than Kansas State or Iowa State or some of those schools. So, yeah, I don't I don't put them in the list of schools that are in danger of being, you know, left behind. They're, they're very much in that top tier. Uh, this is another one for you from Scott Armstrong in Louisville, North Carolina. Bruce, loved your article this week on the quarterback class of 2013. That was, in fact, a very well-done article that people should go on The Athletic and read if they haven't already about the various uh, career trajectories of some of the highly ranked guys in that class, like Christian Hackenberg, and um, uh, that, that didn't go so well. And then guys like Jared Goff, who were maybe a little bit more under the radar, who went on to have great careers. What impact do performances at seven-on-seven camps have on the evaluations done by college coaches? How do coaches weigh seven-on-seven in tape uh, versus high school tape? Well, I think the seven-on-seven part has more to do with the 247 and and, uh, rivals evaluations because they see those guys in more informal settings. I'm not sure how much, you know, a... a, uh, a college coach will go try to see them throw in person at maybe a high school practice in the off season, but it's not like they're going to go out and about and go to all these seven on seven camps because they don't have the access to it. So I think they want to see game tape, but it's it is it is still a a crapshoot about how much it is uh, and what people are evaluating from. But I think that definitely influences it, and uh, as. Noel Mazzoni said in the in the story, the uh, now the Arizona offense coordinator, he's like, you know what, it's, it's what happens when you have twenty two guys out on the field, and how you know how well do you see it? You know, in seven on seven, it's just not the same thing. You just don't have pads on. You're just in the run game's not involved. There's just a lot of other factors that go into it, and it's just it's a different game. All right, Stu, question from Nathan Meidinger. Hopefully I got that right. Which result will be more surprising, North Dakota State beating Oregon or Oregon beating Ohio State? What a, what a great question that is because I have seen people saying uh, they play Ohio State week two, but hey, watch out. North Dakota State, FCS powerhouse coming to Oregon week one in the first game of whoever's going to be the um, successor to Justin Herbert. Uh, I think that, frankly... 
Oregon beating Ohio State would be more surprising to me. I think that uh, you're with Justin Fields and a whole bunch of other high high <clears throat> Justin Fields and a whole bunch of other stars from this team that almost played for the national championship game is coming to Eugene. Yes, it's on the road. Um, I don't know that that's as big a factor as it might be for some other schools. I it'll be a fun game. It'll be an exciting. It'll be exciting atmosphere. But I do expect. Ohio State to win. Um, North Dakota State could upset Oregon. They've upset. I've seen. We've seen them over the years beat Iowa, beat Kansas State, uh, some others that aren't coming to mind right off the top of my head. Oregon. If it was last year's Oregon team, North Dakota State's not beating that team, the Rose Bowl champions. But we don't know what Oregon will be this year. Okay. As always, you can send your questions. Well, do you agree? What's your What's your answer? Uh. I think Oregon beating Ohio State um, would be more surprising. Yeah, just new quarterback for Oregon. I think I think North Dakota State is always really good. You know, they've done it before. I don't know. That's that's a good question. I don't. I don't I'm kind of split on it, to be honest. It's a really good question. We got seven more months to think about it. There we go. All right. As always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We will see you next time. If you enjoy the audible please subscribe on apple Podcasts, google play spotify wherever you get your podcasts leave us a review and a rating if you could too it helps us get the word out our producer is john hayes our theme song is dangerous by kevin and the octaves you can download their music on spotify or apple music follow me on twitter at sl mandel follow bruce at bruce feldman cfb And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic.